0: And you know, uh, oh, yeah. go ahead, yeah. You can talk, All right, So, you know, I don't like talking about myself, so you'll have to ask me if you want me to. Yeah, I'll, pull, about I'll you. pull it out of you. <laughs> you gotta pull it out.
1: Of I one. will, yeah. I will. Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and we got another knowledge bomb episode for you. Uh, the guys on Sniper's Hide have been asking, uh, we got the Everyday Sniper podcast section, whatever you want to call it. And we put the call out to say, hey, what do you want to talk about? And one of the more frequent common requests was we want to talk to Brian Morgan. And so I got Brian Morgan on the phone for you guys. So say hi to Brian Morgan. (laughs) Hey, hey, Frank, how's it going? (laughs) Good, Brian. How are you? Uh, Good. uh, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I put a call out uh, not too long ago. And one of the requests, or actually one, it was many requests, uh, but one element of the request was for you. And uh, you and I, God, I don't even know how far back you and I go. Um, Got to be six a- or seven, right?
0: Oh, it, yeah, it's it's ways back. Uh, you know, you've been doing sniper side for so long. I remember, I want to say when I hadn't lost my count or lost my logins or whatever, we were back on Smackerside in like 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in that range.
1: Okay, so, so you were on um, the early, early uh, kind of Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and so, um, but then uh, for people who don't know, Brian was a competitor and a match director and a range owner and to this day it still is. So kind of just give a little bit of your, uh, go back in time, go to history, take us back to Florida. And um, give a little bit of plug of yourself, even though that's not you.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, way back when, kind of, you know, pre, uh, you know, precision rifle days when I guess long range wasn't necessarily as sexy as it is now for some people. But, uh, you know, we the, the, the competition world was really small um, and uh, did a lot of, you know, just local stuff back in the day and started to wanted to build a range and built one in Florida that I could train on. Uh, got up with Shannon. We had K and M, uh, ran that together for a little bit and then, um, uh, separated off of that. He's up in East Tennessee or actually in Tennessee. And then, you know, kept the range down there that went into core core. Uh, I went out to Idaho, kind of fired up out there, um, and kind of got stuck out there and then, you know, core transitioned over to, uh, I think it's Altus now. So yep, yep. Um, yeah, that's the history.
1: So and then on the competition side, because uh, I don't know how many. Yeah, I know you won one, but I think you won more than one. Correct for the PRS finale side of stuff.
0: No, I, yeah, one, yeah, one PRS national title back. I think it was, I think it was fourteen or fifteen. I'm not sure. You'd have to correct me on that one. The, um, yeah, you know the early days of the PRS, I think the first year was what, 2012. Yep. 12. And yeah. And we were just trying to figure it out. Uh, so, and, and it was good times and, uh, met some great people, you know, long life, you know, lifetime friends. And, um, I think the first year of the finale was out at, uh, Jacob's place. Um, and, uh, yeah, competed that year. You know, everyone that first year was trying to figure out what this, this whole thing was. Um, and and it was good though, really good training, really good opportunity to learn. And then it kind of grew from there, obviously. And then uh 2013, uh Shan held the, the PRS finale at uh the range in Florida. And uh Dustin Morris, I believe, won that one. And then the next year uh the finale was down in Texas again. And uh yeah, I had you know, I think that year I was able to kind of focus a lot more on competition. I never was able to be the guy like these dudes. Now they're shooting, you know, 18, 20 matches. I don't know where they find the time. I definitely don't have that kind of time. Never had that kind of time. So back in the day, you know, if you could hit three four five matches and be successful with those, uh, you were doing pretty good. Um, Nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, they're big numbers now,
1: but they're much more local. We traveled a lot more. We were on airplanes a lot more.
0: Oh yeah. Um yeah, because yeah, there was I, only,
1: I, I, you know, the matches were, you know, across the country. We did a match in Florida and then your next following match was, you know, in California.
0: Yeah, I think I won the I think I won your match in 14 and uh, I want to say that I literally bought a plane ticket like the day before. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure if I was going to make it, you know. So it's like grab a gun, grab some ammo, jump on a plane, fly out there shoot a match now you know uh, I've just never with my work schedule and everything else I just never never had that kind of uh uh, a schedule I could you know kind of plan out that deep right so but but it's good and it's you know phenomenal opportunity for everybody to train so
1: now I want to kind of go in a in a in a a kind of a worker direction but um so initially, as, as you move from you know, K&M, and then you head core, and then it goes over, and now you're up in Idaho and Hat Creek, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but you've kind of progressed through the series in the competition world, and it was in the middle of the transitions, the flux, when things were changing. We had two schools of thought, really. We can throw a whole lot of equipment at something and buy the latest and greatest product to – Sort of uh, solve a problem of a barricade, uh, you know, the school bus, whatever, the, whatever the obstacle or prop was. You had two choices: you can buy something to work with it, or you can kind of train it up and work the alternate positions. And so you were at that sort of crossroads nexus where equipment's coming in hard and fast, trainings kind of waning down a little bit. But it's still there because there was still training components to matches at the time. You can go to a train up um, and your positions were, I don't want to say better than most, but efficient. And so that is what got you a lot of attention was how you manage positions. Now, there's, I have a, I have a mindset where I think part of it comes into play is that you were a match director. And you look at a, a stage and you're like, okay, here's the stage. Now I'm going to have a hundred people come in the door and a hundred people are going to look at this stage a different way. How many different variations of this stage do I see? And then you're trying to manage what's outside the lines and what are inside the lines, but kind of go over your personal process when you look at solving a precision rifle pro uh, problem that's not prone.
0: Yeah, so before I jump deep, I mean, like you are saying, you're bringing up a really good point. Like early on, well, first off, you know, I came from the school of no one had muzzle brakes. Right. You know, we, were, we, we didn't have muzzle brakes. We didn't have heavy guns. Our guns, I think, even now, if you go weigh, you know, some of my old match guns, they're 16 pounds. You know, and we were shooting those in 308, you know, six fives. You know, if you look at the, you know, the the history of matches, if you would, in the past, say, just even in just the past 12 years, um, you're talking about taking, you know, we, we started out with 308s, then 260s, you know, Terry Cross was, you know, doing some amazing stuff with 260s. Um, and then, you know, George Gardner was getting into the 243s. And then you get the creed moors come on the line and you're back into you know back into the 65 creed moors that gets back down to six creed moors and then now you've got every kind of any flavor you want in the six millimeters but somewhere in that process um we also started going up in weight and then you know the technology on the machinery and whatnot you started getting some really really good breaks out there you know apa uh comes out and they've got a really really good break and then all of a sudden we're taking the edge off of these systems and we're able to you know do things with them that we couldn't do with the old systems um and so but because of the way i came up you know managing that recoil like i had a 300 win mag you know back in you know the early 2000s that i would you know go to small little matches with and when you're you know when you were shooting that guy uh you get you know you're not going to be able to balance that on the back you know, and there was no bags to be had at that point, for that matter. If it was just your rear sand sock, if you were lucky, and you know, so I would build positions to where I would utilize the the barricade the best I could, or whatever I was shooting off of, let it capture. And I ripped a ton of sling studs out of the front of you know stocks back in the day and then you know try to get them beefed up to where it holds because i would bind my bipod up against that or whatnot but my length of pull would be or my my forearm length would be you know not set just right those were all things that we had to battle through nowadays you've got everything purpose built for for a specific barricade or a type of shooting and you know the early days you know watching guys like like terry cross very uh you know everything that he did Applied across the board to whatever you know the same the same thought process when he was prone was almost the same thought process when he was you know in a uncomfortable position you know the fundamentals if you go back to those right mm-hmm. and nowadays you know we're and you know we're also pulling two pound triggers two yeah. and a half pound triggers you know so now we got four and six and eight ounce triggers and you know, you've got these guns that have the ability to be balanced out on a barricade, so you can throw them up there, you can balance them. I call it barricade rest, you know, because it's basically what you're doing. You're driving a gun. If you're a right-handed shooter, you're driving the gun with your left hand, and, you know, some of the fundamentals that we, we could not get away with, uh, you know, not following back in the day on those lighter systems that, you know, weren't as balanced out or able to manage that recoil, you know, we can get away with it now. So you can't blame people for, for doing what they're doing now um to build those positions because it it works it's it's um,
1: Oh yeah, it's I mean weight. the equipment absolutely helps. And and you you're right. You can't fault anybody for where it is. Now I fault them for where we're going. Um cuz yeah, I I, think, I do I think, think the they th-
0: Gotten. I think the weight of the guns is getting you know because I mean you look at every sport that we're in mm-hmm. and, and firearms there's there's all these uh variable you know, certain well, rules yes specs these, yeah, all these different rules or specs or whatever on the system. you know now you got you know twenty eight pound you know six millimeters. and that doesn't really cross over to like the clientele that i
1: teach with no they go know, up to because, 32 pounds with the 308s and the production stuff they uh, you know so yeah, yeah.
0: like in so in, the techniques the techniques that i was utilizing then probably wouldn't be as effective you know if i was to jump back into competition now I, it would take me a while to learn uh, those techniques because it's not necessarily techniques that i utilize i try to shoot my thought process is this i try to shoot a gun, a long gun for that matter, a precision rifle, I try to shoot it the same way, regardless of cartridge, yeah. regardless of weight, regardless of setup. It's because it, I try to follow through the fundamentals across the board to, because I don't, in, in a single day of, of, you know, out in Idaho, I'll be on a Gas Gun 260, and then in the afternoon, I'm on a 338, you know, uh, either Elmrad or, you know, or AI, and then the next day, I'm I'm on a five-five-six with a one-to-eight with the trimmer trimmer eight in it. And then you know, and then the next then the half day, right. so I'm constantly changing these systems based on what the clients are bringing in. And uh, so if I you know if I've got to
1: completely
0: uh, reset how I I don't want to have three different ways. Well, and
1: and that's what people don't see. understand when we're teaching. Like, why aren't you in and you're shooting all the time and you're teaching? And it's like, well, I'm not practicing anymore for that test. I'm now looking at everybody else. I'm diagnosing what's going on with them. I'm not really worried about me and what I'm doing wrong. But what I did notice is kind of going around and dabbling the way I have and then even playing with the bigger, heavier guns that they're running. And I have some put together now and a few things is I. I fight the urge because I'm like you. I want to do it the same way every time. I want to be consistent. And so now what I found is I just fight the urge to do. And and what helped me in my brain and for anybody out there listening is I ended up calling it managed recoil. So rather than going straight to the free recoil kind of, which you can get away with because the guns are good enough.
2: Um, oh, yeah.
1: and, and so rather than just go straight, you know, all the way to the end of the road and say, Hey, this is free recoil. We know that road has, you know, six exits on it and I'm not going to go to the last exit. I'm going to take the third exit, you know, something like that. And so I know that it's against my better nature to put less influence into the rifle. Cause like you said, we grew up having to manage recoil with a rifle with no break on it. I'm yeah. just letting it do its job. And all I'm looking for is how far I could back off the gun, and not lose my sight picture. Understanding yeah. that if I lose the sight picture, I'm probably a little more accurate. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's kind of the give and take. Yeah, yeah. is it right? And and yeah, it's and, it goes against yeah. everything we talk about.
0: Yeah, you know. So you know, I tell the guys, you know, when we're training, you know, if you if you're backed up by a spotter and you're in a you know, let's say there's just not a good position to be had, you know, take the most stable break of that trigger that you can take because your spotter's backing you up. If you're a single shooter, which is what a lot of the scenarios are now, Mm -hmm. you know, is, you know, shooter, shooter scenarios, or even competition, because in competition, it's, if it's not a team match, then you Mm -hmm. better pick up your miss, right. Right. Or you better see what's going on. And so it's kind of a critical path to be able to stay in that glass, be able to stay on that target. And, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's kind of the, the deciding factor for me. And I'll tell my spotter, if I'm working with someone, I'm like, Hey, this is, this is not a good position, but I know that it's the best position that I'm going to be able to build in the, you know, with, with what I've got. And to not
1: influence with. the shot, right. It's the best shot uh, I can right, do right. without shaking and moving the shot, so I better yeah, back right. off because I'm in this yep. weird position and, you know, eight seconds but into it, my it. legs started shaking.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I'm going to lose it, so <laughs> right. then I'm I'm, I'm going to rely on that, uh, you know, the, the at that point.
1: Yeah, the recoil. So you're going to let the, you're going to back your influence off and let the gun influence take over a little more. And Yeah, and, a lot and, of
0: guys don't understand like long range, the longer that shot, the, the, Almost the easier it is, right? Yeah. Because I've got time to get back on target. Yep. You know, you put me on a heavy recoiling three thirty-eight at you know three hundred meters in a really really fouled up position. That's that's pretty sporty to be able to get back on a target. So I, I take my time and try and build a pretty lock-in position. I on mean, those. Um,
1: even so. the super far carnival shots, man. You you know you got three seconds till you're gonna like have to start looking for your splash.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We were shooting uh, with the team not long ago, um, some fifties, and you know we're shooting out to like thirty two hundred meters, and you know we're not even on glass. You yeah, know, like yeah. we're sitting there. We, it's, you know, with with some of the stuff we were shooting, it's like, hey, it's an eight second freaking flight. You know, like yeah. I'm not even going to look. You know, like I'm not going to burn my eyes, eyes out on that spotting. You know, through that spotter, so I'll just I'll just hang out and wait, and we'll we'll do a countdown. We'll all come into glass at the same time and be able to see it um so yeah you've got time and and that's kind of in that you know time is the deciding factor on many things everyone you know you get i know you get asked this like when do you die when do you hold right how how much time do i have you know if i've got time i'll die if i don't have time i'll hold
1: and and Um, i have like a such a weird eclectic little like formula in my head It's like from 200 to 800, I'm going to hold unless it's at 200 and it's a tiny one MOA target, then I'm going to dial to the center. And then, you know, I got all these like things that go through my head. How big's the target? How much time do I have? What's the the gust doing? doing? What's the
0: position? What's the gust doing? If I can, if I can add, give me a few more seconds to build a better, more stable position rather than. Than breaking a bad shot possibly because I held rather than having to reach up there and deal with the turret, then maybe I hold also, you know? Yeah. So, and and going back to the positions that you were talking about too, I was always pretty bendy. You know, I came up fairly limber. Um, So I think some of that too, my body was never, you know, a lot of the guys I work with now, they've been blown up and,
1: Oh yeah. yeah they so they're then, broken and they then, can't then, move they, and they're
0: Yeah. They they get in a position and I'm like, hey man, just bend over like this. And he's like, dude, I can't I can't do that. And I'm like, all right, we gotta figure something else out. Mm-hmm. So that's a big piece of it too, is what you gotta look at what your body will allow you to, to do,
1: you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean and, and it's it, well it it might be, you know, you may have a guy with a like a injury and it, and it might be almost the same sort of mindset of me being shorter on a on a prop. You know, I now have yeah. to look at, it's adaption. You know, what are we doing to adapt to that obstacle? You know, it's it, We're on one hand, I call it a prop, but on the other hand, it's an obstacle and I have right. to look at what am I doing to get over this obstacle and, and get the shot off, you know? So I, I look yeah. at it two ways and I have to do that because of my size. So,
0: yeah. And, and, and it was the same thing. You get, I've got fairly long, you know, limbs, so, you know, a kneeling shot, I'm probably going to get a rear support, you know, on that position uh, where someone else might not be able to, you know, Well, so, like kneeling uh, for
1: me, I can get down so low where I won't even the shorter tripods, I don't even have to deploy them because I can get so dang low in a kneeling right? that I could be tight and compact and all in there and I never have to deploy shit. But then like you're yeah. saying for you, you're going to need some kind of rest because you're up higher than I am.
0: Yeah. And then you'll, you'll look too. it's funny how watch uh, guys drop into a position and they're like, man, I can't bend like this. I'm like, Hey dude, just bend your knees and they'll bend their knee. And like, Oh, that's a lot better. Like they got like straight legs or something. And I'm like, Hey, just, just break your knees. You don't have to, you know, they'll, they'll, or their back is so tight that they just, they're trying to bend forward, but their feet are right out in front of them. And I'm like, Hey dude, kick, kick your legs off to the side. And they're like, Oh, okay, there it is. And so that's the thing is just kind of understanding, You know what position you get into with your body i mean i've got guys like my neck is i've got a you know my neck's held up pretty good over the years and but other guys that's been running around for you know the past 20 years fighting wars with freaking nods on you know their necks are all all jacked up and sore, and they just can't do the same stuff with them so we have to adapt to them to to whatever the, the the situation is to what their body's able to do
1: yeah know? yeah so. no that makes perfect sense with everybody do you have any like when it comes to your alternates and positions and things like like do you have any truisms that are constantly being thrown out like something that's on repeat like heavy repeat throughout the entire class is there a phrase that you're constantly using
0: uh, probably the, the 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 one thing I'm always asking, you know, as soon as someone breaks a shot, you know, even though I'm on, on glass, I saw exactly what happened. I, I just ask them, like, did you see it? And if they tell me no, then then we stop. And I'm like, why didn't you see it? Well, I lost the position. Well, why? Now we got to figure out why you lost that position. So my my question, I'm always asking, you know, someone that just broke a shot is like, did you see it? And if yeah. didn't see it, then we need to fix it. Okay.
1: Well, that's so a great it's nugget. Yeah. that's so a... It's
0: a, Yeah. It's see it, fix it. You know, if mm-hmm. you don't see it, you got to fix it. If you did see it, then, you know, watch and repeat, you know, go ahead and do it again unless you you felt like you could do it better or whatever. So um, the time, you know, anytime you put a clock on someone, you know, their minds melt. But mm-hmm. uh, um, what I've learned over the years is the guys that don't, look like they're trying too hard are usually the faster guys yes uh and, and so that's that's kind of important too is is don't you know for me at least uh i see a lot of guys rush to failure you know they're rushing into a bad position they fight the bad position they send the shot from a bad position they miss the shot so they can quickly get to the next bad position
1: yeah Valle- uh, phil vallejo's great to what it looks like in slow motion he just did that one on video that was thirty eight seconds for a barricade all the shots and he doesn't look like he's moving
0: yeah that, and that's the key is just I'm gonna go as and when I get guys that are uh, you know because we do put guys on the clock all the time there's a hard you know it's kind of hard to replicate the stress that they have so I just you know a clock's one way to do it and we also score a lot with them. But so, you know, my biggest thing is when they start asking me, it's like, how much time's left? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much time you've got. The only time that I really care about, even in a competition, the only time I care about is maybe the last three seconds. Because maybe I break a, a shot. shot. Yep. Yeah, but it might catch it. You know, maybe I'll get lucky. But anything in between, I'm going to go as fast as I can and still stay accurate. And that's it. And, I can't go any
1: quicker. And that's what I found. I was, just, cause like I said, I just went and shot two matches back to back. And um, just cause I hadn't all year, you know, I hadn't shot matches in since last year kind of thing. And yeah. I found for me personally, just not practicing and doing that is like when I timed out, my hit count was really high and I was purposely yeah. going kind of slow and, and a little more methodical and didn't really, but I did notice that there'd be a couple stages where I'd go, Oh, I got that stage. I don't have to go slow. You know, I'm just going to go and do it. And then I'd end up with like a four. And then I'd go, oh, that stage, I'm just going to shoot six of those eight. And I'd go for that. And then I'd end up getting like a six or seven. You know, and and where it was like is, oh, I can get all those targets and I'd shoot shitty. And then where I said, no, I'm just going to go and get my hits, man. I'm just going to go slow and get my hits. And and even like the one of them was a cargo net. And it turned out the because I went to the cargo net hating the idea of a cargo net, yeah, and almost cleaned the stage because I went in hyper slow motion and it just it worked for me because of my size, and I was able to actually get through it and didn't even have to really touch the net. Um,
0: oh yeah, you 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 accepted that it was a low percentage, I guess, or, or yeah, yeah, one, and so you didn't have this high expectation set on yourself, so you set yourself up. You know, to where, and that's kind of what I do. So back at when I, you know, one of the the mindset things I used to do, at least in the competition days, was you know if I got to a stage, most stages were you know ten or twelve rounds, right? And so I'd look at it, you know, and I'd look at the size of the target, the difficulty of the barricade, those kind of things. I never did think I got to clean this. You know, I would always be like, you know what, eight would be pretty good on this stage. Yeah. And then that way, if I got a six, I only dropped two shots.
1: Right. That's how I kind mind. of do it too. That's sort of my yeah. same mindset.
0: But yeah. I don't, I don't go up there with a perfect expectation because, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so many things that I can apply to it. There's other environmentals. That's why long range is so difficult because there's things going on between me and the, and the target that I don't care how long you've been doing it. You just don't see everything and and you know so if i jump up there and i miss off of a wind call yeah, i'm going to miss off the wind call but so i don't have that expectation of yeah i'm going to clean this right now it'd be nice to to be able to be that confident like at 300 meters out or something yeah you know we can get pretty dang confident on that stuff but once you start adding that distance in there there's there's a little bit of luck involved in that too
1: yeah yeah although here 300s my achilles heel i can never hit the 300 yard target ever i hit like the 1200 <laughs> i'll i'll go on a stage and i'll hit 1200 yard target with like a Valkyrie and I'll miss the 300 yard target. I don't know what it is. I still can't hit it. And it just drives me. Uh, I've got,
0: I've definitely got a few nemesis. Uh, we've got about out there at Hat Creek. I've got about 500 targets out right now. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and there's, there's some I get to, you know, because we have so many, I don't, you know, we don't shoot the same targets every week. Right. And, and so guys think they come in and, the, you know, and there is some home field advantage. Don't get me wrong the guys come in and they they're like yeah you just shot this last week like no man i have not shot this target in six months you know or whatever so i'm I'm having to go and i like to do that because i get bored you know fairly easily also so i want to shoot something different also and uh but when i do get those runs to where we do a lot of the same similar things um anytime i feel like i've got something figured out is usually when it burns me you know like once i'm like all right i know what the wind typically does here that's like Too much information can almost be just as bad as not enough information. Oh, absolutely. I do
1: that information overload and you get vapor lock, and then it's like, shit, what do I do now?
0: Mm. I did a, um, I'll tell you, we were doing a cross canyon shot. And you have, we've all had these lucky shots, you know. And, and this is for scoring with some dudes, and we were shooting 338s, and and, um, it was like 1400 meters or something. And I laid down, they're all laid down. We're getting ready to send it on this target. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and push mine on out there, but I can't see win for anything across this canyon like i got nothing i got no you know all i'm going to hold is spin at the most right now however the target is like in some thick grass so i know i'm not going to get any splash and so i'm like man i don't i don't want to waste around but i don't if i don't see anything i don't know what to do and and so and this is just single shooter stuff so there was a little scree pile of rock off to the left about four mils to the left and uh so i i held in the center of that sent the round and hit the freaking target. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and all the guys like, did you hit that on the first round? I'm like, yeah, man, I hit that on the first round. But, then I, you know, I can't tell. You know, I had to tell them. I, I was like, man, I was holding to, to shoot the middle of that rock pile. And, uh, and the wind was what it was. So I'll take luck on those long shots all day long if I can get it, you know. But for me, my goal anytime I break a shot is to see what I need to see. If I if I'm shooting somewhere that I don't feel like I'm going to pick up that shot, that I'm going to shoot somewhere else that I might get some information from, especially if it's something I can't read, like a cross canyon shot where where the lands are pretty difficult to read. So,
1: well, it's it also it's it's something the student, however you want to praise them, but we'll call them all students. It's something that your student can take away off the the mountain, and it basically did you see it? Yes. Did you see it? No. Fix it. Well, now you gave them, so they saw the hit and so they know what's going on. So there's, there's something they can measure. I saw it. I, I, this is what I'm looking at. But if they turn around and say to you, no, I didn't see it. You now gave them something to work on and it's that trial. It'll let them do the trial and error. It'll let them do whatever elements you want to give them as far as a process. But, then the end result is, did you see it? And it makes perfect sense, you know, that it's that simple.
0: Well, most people are used to shooting, you know, at ranges where there's a berm behind every target, and that berm is usually like clean dirt because it's shot all the time. Right, right. right. You know, there's there's places that I've got where we're shooting into very, very thick timber, and the target is, you know, 40, 50, 60 feet into the timber. And then the ground is just covered with veg. Like, you're not going to see anything.
1: Right. And, my, like, my catch, range doesn't it, have berms either. I don't have any berms. But I have stuff out in the air. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get super it.
0: Super tough. So, if, if you're not catching trace, and there's just days, you're not going to see trace, right? right? So, you have to make a decision as a shooter. Like, do I just sit here? I mean, I had a – we had a, a pretty high-level team in, and it was a 700-meter shot. Kind of down angle, cross canyon into one of those dark, shadowy holes with the target tucked up in there. It's a full size; it's seven hundred something meters. <clears throat> it's uh, it's a windy day, so it's challenging. But we were probably the first few guys went through. We were probably twenty rounds in of three thirty eight before we before anyone got a hit on target, and because there was just nothing to be seen. Mm-hmm. and you know you have to make a decision like okay i'm going to go to the road down there i'm going to burn one in this road see that wind call see what's going on and bring it back up on that target you know you you just sitting there sending into darkness into nothingness um isn't going to improve what your you know your hit ratio for sure right right you might get lucky you might get lucky and pick it up but it, it's it's a challenge so you just at, at the end of the day you just got to be a smart shooter. Um, how many times have, have you, I've seen guys do it throughout my, even in the competition days. There's been times where we're at a match and that target's sitting in front of a, the grassy side of the berm or whatever. Guys will burn around off to the left on the shot up part of the berm, get the win call, come back over, and then clean the rest of the rounds on the target. Nothing and they're doing that, it guys. a lot
1: more with like the T post in the field. So you basically, you know, if like my target, so the target's high in the field. And it's on a six foot, maybe it's on a nine foot, because like you're saying, the grass is growing. Um, so maybe yep. it's on a nine foot T-post and it's only one foot in the ground. You know what I mean? Maybe it's it's yep. something like that. And um, so what the guys are doing is they're using the bottom of the T-post, if they could see it especially. And yes. then you can measure with the reticle, burn How one in at the it. bottom. Out of the T post, measure from the T post to where you were aiming, and now you have a wind call. Now go up to the target that's hanging in the air, and you wasted one round instead of four.
0: Yeah, and, and I, as much as I hate doing that, yes. because it's like, hey, I'm, it's it's you know sometimes that's necessity, um, and and you see it with hunters. Hunters do the same thing. Um, I try not to shoot, you know, when I when we take animals out there, I don't try to just for the fun of it take one any further than I have to. But if it's if it's a challenging shot, that animal, in my experience isn't going to really care that I took a wind call shot. No, nah, they don't on my range either.
1: People say that yeah. I, I have the uh, the antelope and deer come through and all that and the ante- yep. like the antelope will come cutting through in the middle of the class, will stand 400 yards away from us by the two trail there, wait for us to finish shooting and then cross the field when we're done. And they just walk right past and it's like, it's, we shoot all around them all the time. And we're not just talking the cows. I'm talking game animals too, that come through. They don't care. I mean, don't get me wrong. 200 and in, they care. 300 and out, they don't give a shit.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, when you get into heavy wins and that's, I always loved competing out West because is super challenging because the roll even if you're in the rolling terrain or anything, the winds are are not consistent typically uh out west that I've found. Um so you know you couldn't like say, hey, just hold left point three all day. You right, know, it was right. always something you had to you actually had to make a wind call. Um and and so, you know, but the beauty of out west is there's not a ton of veg in a lot of these places. And you can kind of take that shot on that rock off to the left of the target or whatever and pick it up. You, yep. you go to the east coast, you've got a lot of edge unless you're on the square range or whatever and, and you're just gonna lose that shot. But it's tough, man. It's tough to want to give that shot up. But at least with, with you know some of the guys that I work with, it's it's better to give that one up and then have success. My whole goal with the guys, especially in our in the area that we train in, is like, look, if you can put a bullet on within three in the conditions, and the positions and the distances and the environmentals that we have, you're doing pretty good. You yeah, know? yeah, and you t- you take that mindset to comp shooting, you're losing, you know, but that's kind of a, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a different game. You know, it's a
1: whole different thing. Well, but- and it's a good segue because now you, you, so you're down in Florida and you're doing all this work in the flat down there and all that, and you, and you got the cores, the K and M's and the different things that are happening. Well, now you're up in Idaho and you're doing Hat Creek. And so and, and it's completely different because your range and I've been to it is really just a fucking angle. you' go up the side of the yeah. hill and and look down the other side and yeah, so yeah. really it's just straight up a hill.
0: yeah, so there's so yeah, it's funny cause like I said, I, I love traveling out west um, and, and shooting those matches and it's it's actually funny so I, I think it was the end of the 2014 series i was kind of just tired of shooting to be honest i was tired of competing i was like man i've been doing this a little bit i just want to take a break and have fun and so and me and my wife were empty nesters you know our my daughter's you know out of the house and so we had. i was like you know what let's go rent us a place in montana for like six months and see if we like it out there and um somewhere in there silencer had called me and uh I'd, I'd, I'd put the, the their match on uh, the to coat match on at the DTAs you know
1: uh, yeah in Utah right uh, right yeah, right.
0: But, yeah so so you know I take Misty out there and we go put that you know match on and um, while I, she had been up to McCall, Idaho uh, for for something you know like a few years prior and she's like, I'd really love you to see this little town of, you know this little McCall town. And so we had a couple of days to kill, uh, before our flights back out. So we, we drove up there, which is seven hours away from Salt Lake. And, and she found, um, that piece of land for sale. And so we, you know, I literally, we called the realtor on the way there and drove over there and took a look at it and, and loved it right away. And, uh, I looked down at the, the property map and it says light force is my neighbor and I'm like, that's freaking Ray. That's Night Force. Yeah, Dr. Ray's so, right there. <laughs> yeah. So so a, a bunch of stuff just kind of fell into place. And, you know, we just went out on a limb. And I, I called some – so one of the things I had the opportunity to do, you know, training on the military side was getting to go to a lot of, um, you know, kind of being an SME with them on a trip and so you know i got to travel and go do a couple of uh, pretty cool trainings it's really really cool facilities or really cool properties i would say but they're not shooting facilities and it was always tough because i'd get there and i'm like well, where's the targets at and they're like we've got these three targets over here and i'm like Dude, how am i going to do a week with these dudes and like, you know this is all that we've got even though the, the, the the place is awesome, but that's, a, we don't have a lot.
1: And that's <laughs> to chig- interrupt real quick, but I went to one of the places you're talking about and the dude's like, Hey, you can go that way and you can go shoot and go follow this trail. And it's about a four to six hour walk and there's three targets. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I'm not walking for four hours to shoot three targets. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm used to a lot of targets, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, so when she found that place, I called a couple of uh, guys that I've been working with and I was like, Hey, if you know, I don't, I didn't buy it to, to do a a training facility, to be honest. I was like, Hey, we can if we want, but you know, it's, I just wanted the property. You've been out there. I mean, it's just, it's really, really pretty piece of property. And so we ended up buying it and, uh, you know, just kind of went from there. And the first year we got out there, like the kitchen wasn't even done yet in the bunkhouse and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but I think the first year we did like eight weeks of training Uh, the second year we ended up doing like 25 weeks, uh, this last year, I think we did 40 weeks, something like that, 38 to 40 weeks. And, and it's, you know, it's a full on deal. Like, uh, it's super hard for my wife too, because she's doing all the cooking. And so, you know, it's three meals a day for the guys. I always say this, I'm like, guys come in for the training the first time, but they come back for the food. (laughs) And, and so it, it, and because she just makes it, you know, we try to keep a really good family home environment and. And, uh, but it yields so much opportunity because I can change the looks so quickly without having to drive three hours on a 200,000 acre property. You know, it's like, I can just go right there. And now we got cross Canyon. Then we go over here and we got up and then we go over here and we got down. And then we go over here and we got, you know, ELR. And so everything's, you know, right there available to us. So it just really, for what I like to do, it really set the week up well for a good training. Um, the longest class I do is about a six, we did a 16 day, uh, a couple of years ago. And that's, that's a challenge that's covering, you know, carving and pistol and long gun and everything. And, um, but you know, if, 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 guys can come out there and kind of keep it all together for a week, it's doing pretty good or else you'll get a little bit of overload. If you're not careful, those will start getting that diminishing returns.
2: Yeah, um, no, for sure. It,
0: it is challenging.
1: For sure. And so you, you, you transition to the angles. What's some of the things you've seen when it comes to the angle shooting and maybe some misconceptions and things that you were like, Hey, you know what? They said angle shooting and I've done a little, and it always been this way. But now that I'm here doing it all the time, I find it's more about here than here than here.
0: So a, a couple of things like up angle, um, for me is a lot easier than down angle um that's more of a position driven thing right so when i'm shooting up angle that rifle's kind of it's it's almost simulating you know kind of uh
1: like a prone uh, almost because you're up uh, the mountain uh, right yeah, yeah it's kind of coming into
0: the same mm-hmm. position on my shoulder and on my and on the side of my neck and everything the same way so i'm able to manage that recoil a lot better on those up angle shots those down angle shots though depending on the position you're building, you don't have your body behind that rifle very well, right? Because you're actually, you know, off the ground and that recoil impulse is is going straight behind you. So it's like a standing off a tripod shot more so than kind of driving into your body. There's nothing you can do about it if, depending on how that shot's laid out or if you're like in a you know, somewhat of a death laid uh, kind of situation where you're as low as you can get. Still going to have to be raised up over here, so that's some of it. So I, I always talk to the guys about managing that that down angle uh, recoil. Do you kind of change can.
1: them up, like maybe go to a sitting in the down and not default to because tri- I hate my legs over <clears throat> my head, um, like that. You know what I mean? Like you try to kind yeah, yeah, yeah. of you, you, with your legs up. But not? So with me, I would almost go tripod sitting to try to kind of fix my mind in the mountains versus yeah, so depending
0: on what we're trying to yeah depending on what we're trying to accomplish so I, you know and, and I, I say you know it's a shooting school i'm not we definitely have like some sniper programs but when we're just trying to get guys to get really really good at yeah, it's reps it's, were, it's it's experimentation it, it, and reps
1: it,
0: yeah i tell the guys look we're, don't we're not for this day we're not here talking about cover behind a, a boulder and we're not talking about any of those things. right here we're trying to build a good position and be able to see that shot and, be, and, and and see what we need to see. So these are one of those things I told you, you brought up Vallejo. I told him one time, you know, sometimes the most fundamentally sound position isn't the most stable position. So I'll, I'll go side on a very, very steep down angle. If I can, if I can mimic prone, if I can get low, the lower I get, the more stable I am. Right. Uh, we're just trying to get back to manage that, you know, to get that contact on the ground. I'll I will start to blade off, get a little more side prone, if you would, right? Um, if I don't have the ability to go to a tripod for whatever reason, yeah, know? So yeah, I, I do the same thing. I want to kick my
1: feet over. It bugs me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm you know I've taken shots with my feet forward, you know, and and you know cross canyon stuff and feet forward. Not very comfortable, uh, but doable. But yeah, if I can go to a tripod seated to where I'm super comfortable and stable. It's good. I'm not going to pick up, uh, you know, like in 260, typically, you know, I'll, you know, some of the, some of us, you know, we're running the 65 five Creedmoors now in two sixties. And some of those, you'll, you'll pick up your own trace, uh, you know, from a, from a tripod shot, if you would, but it's getting really hard to do that when you get into the 300 wind mags and mm-hmm. 338s and the normas. So, you know, anytime I can, you know, manage that recoil better, stay behind that gun, try and pick that shot up. And uh, you know, stay down on magnification. That's another thing that that I had to change from the competition order a little bit is I had to, you know shooting the larger cartridges, you know, back in that mag down, so I got a better field of view, see what's going on, and be able to pick up that miss even if I move off target a little bit through that recoil process. But you know those those down angle shots, we definitely mix them up and um, and and start talking with the guys. And I usually I'll start seeing their body position. Um, and, and try and go over there. And, and it kind of gets into the geometry of their, their, their body, their kit, whatever they're wearing. And like, how do we, you know, shift their hips around or pick this leg up over here and come over to there, help them to understand, you know, what they can do uh, in the position they got. Most guys will drop into a bad position and they just accept it. You know, they're like, Hey, this, this feels terrible, but I'm going to go ahead and shoot my shots. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, fix it. So if you get in the mindset, of building the best position every time is a good thing. I get guys coming out there and they throw their leg over here and they're like, I'm just seeing if I could shoot it from here. I'm like, would you ever build that position otherwise? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then don't train yourself to build a bad position. Yeah. Yeah. You know, build, build good position.
1: I have a weird question. Um, kind of strange since you've been doing the teams long enough and everything and they're coming up there. Do you have, like, have you moved any gear on their body that's now consistently been moved? Like it used to be on the right side, now it's like on their back or it's on their other side because you found it's always in the way?
0: Um, man, so many, t- you know. They're, yeah, they're I know all... it's, it's like
1: a super minutiae kind of question, but it's just kind of something yeah. that I kind of tend to always see, like if something repeats enough that it's like, okay, that can't be there, this has to be over here.
0: Yeah, and depending on each team has a different
1: responsibility. Right, call right, out and different, different loads and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So you know, you take a, a true, you know, like a sniper team or whatever. They're you know a lot of times they're they're going they're not going to be in full kit. You know, they're going to strip it down. Right, right. Um, so they're they're going to go pretty clean on it. The big thing, like helmets. I mean, uh, you know, keeping that helmet loose. <laughs> you know, guys will drop down if they've not been on a long gun and shooting prone from a long gun, and they, they come up there with their normal. You know, and they're going to keep their, their helmet on, and they go to drop in behind that gun, and all of a sudden they can't see because their helmet's in front of their scope because they don't it have— It pulled
1: with their chin, their right? Chin.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're having to loosen that up a little bit. A um, few things like that. Uh, I, I think the main, I would say, is the gear that they carry. I've seen—definitely seen them adding— um, you know, certain amount of gear, certain bags, certain tripods. Yeah, tripods,
1: bags, um, and different things for sure. I, I, I'm they would add, but I just wondering if anybody move their if any like the helmet's a great one because the helmet um is is there is unique you know universal with all of them, and so the fact that it and constantly and pulls also, down.
0: Yeah, no, you also see failures on equipment because certain things and and uh you know from you know helmets hitting the eyepiece on their scope, uh you'll start seeing some scopes you know. Um, get some weak spots there mm-hmm. uh, that need to be need to be addressed you know how they set their rifles up changes depending on their loadout like i shoot with the like a lot of us do now though but i shoot really i used to shoot really far out like in the pocket you know and, and but with the magnums you know i'm right against my neck so everything's over there now so i'm right against my neck on my column so the guys with the kit i try to get inside depending on which kind of you're, you know, you're inside the hit. strap
1: of their armor instead yes. of outside. Yeah. Yeah. I got what you mean. Yep. Yep. So, yep.
0: so you'll see the positioning of the rifle uh, change on them a lot, you know, like where they're, they're pushing it, but not necessarily the kits moving around. Uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of teams started going through is more of the, um, you know, if they if they're chest, if they're running like a uh, plate carriers or, mm-hmm. or a chest carry, you know, a chest rig or whatnot, if they're running like a really light weight system, I like the ones that can, you know, either unzip or unbuckle from the center, so I can kick everything off to the side. And I can actually get prone without laying on my mags and my and my you know laser and those kind of things yep. on my chest. You know, so a couple of things like that. Just just getting your load a little bit different.
1: So uh, one last one before, because we're getting pretty deep into this. Um, I want to get because you had mentioned this earlier. Wind with the angles, uh, wind's the big equalizer. So talk to us about wind on your mountain
0: so you know that's probably the biggest uh you, you so you talked about angles and different things obviously got the recoil we talked talked about and how to manage that rifle but um the math the, it's still taught wrong by a lot of guys um unfortunately and and it's it's one of those deals like yeah it's it's all right you know it, it's good enough but it's not you know correct but if you jump in your kestrel uh or whatever you know methods that you're using you know the math is pretty simple right i mean it's it's uh um, you you want to apply that you know cosine angle not to distance but you. i want was to gonna say you data.
1: you have a um thing you don't feed the kestrel through some of the stuff you're putting it in more manually because it's sort of the electronics feeding some of the devices messes up a bit
0: yeah so you gotta be careful i mean especially when you start getting the you know uh weapon mounted systems now um you gotta see what they've got and what they're using but yeah I, you know I'll i'll let the you know, I'll jam the, uh, the angle into the Kestrel. Like if I've got time, I'm going to jam the, the angle into the Kestrel, but I'm going I'm, to, I'm not, I'm, I don't ever use corrected distance. You know, everything's line of sight. Right. So I'll use line of sight and then, and do the angle. So apply your cosine to your data, but don't apply your cos. Everybody was so used to applying their cosine to their distance and then taking the data for that distance, right? Yeah, but you're really improved
1: rifleman. That. You're not rifleman's rule. Yeah. You're improved, basically. So yeah. you're just letting the and, electronics do that. Yeah, or,
0: or I'll do it, you know. Manually, like rule of thumb I, it. Yeah, I can still do my cosine against my data. So if I got 10 mils, you know, if I've got 10 mils of, you know. Elevation, right, right. Uh, yeah, at this distance, then I know at 20, basically at 26 degrees, it's it's about 10%. So I need to hold nine mils. I'm gonna take 10% off of that 10 mil hold, right? So I'm gonna drop a mil off of that. So, but I'm gonna apply that to my data, but not to my distance. I'm not gonna take 10% off of that, you know, thousand meters and now hold for 900 meters, you know? So that's part of it, but the biggest thing for wind and, and we could, man, we could talk about wind for hours, but I see more misses on angles due to not understanding, you know, you know, the the vertical component of the wind. You know, it's like the first time, how many times have you had, you know, new shooters out and you're training them and you're having them hold, you know, in a, on a windy day, maybe, you know, left two mils or three mils or whatever. And it, it's really hard for them because they just don't believe that the wind can move that bullet that much.
1: Yeah. Yep. Always want to like, underdo they, it.
0: Yeah. They just, they're like, there's no way my bullet's moving that far. And I'm like, yeah, it is it's the same component vertically. I've got shots at my place that I've taken. And, and so just think of this scenario uh, to where I'm shooting across, not, not across Canyon, but along the Canyon wall and everything is going up the face of that wall. So my, my, my bullet is flying in that updraft the entire time. And I've had, you know, 900 meter shots with a 300 wind mag where I've had to take, three mils off my elevation three mils yep you know, i've seen it now, with now, even though me,
1: at thunder ranch i've seen it with the snow going up the side yeah. you see snow yeah, too you'll great, see it
0: yeah that's a great indicator so when you see that when you see that vertical wind and it's super hard to read the first time i kind of got into it, it it looked like a really fast uh boil because i could see the mirage but it looked like it was just going up you know and but it was but it was the wind going up and then lifting that projectile across that entire bullet flight so understanding that vertical component uh, and you also see it more i don't get as much downdraft component as i do updraft component Mm -hmm. um you know because when you get in those compressive winds and they channel into a canyon they they usually get in that venturi effect so they'll speed up a little bit and when they're going up that that canyon face it seems like they pick up a lot more speed as opposed to when you know in the evenings or whatever if it's if it's starting to cool down and the winds are starting to drop down the thermals are coming down i don't get the same
1: amount of, right the velocity different right right
0: yeah so one of the things i do a lot of times i show guys uh one way to do it so let's say that me and you're set up on a shot and let's say it's a thousand meter shot and i'm shooting at a 20 degree, you know, angle. Right. And what I, what I'll do is I'll go take a look at the, I'll, I'll kind of look at my position. Then I'll look at the face of the Canyon and it, and if it's in a spot to where the wind's definitely going uphill. Right. So I'll take a look at the face of the Canyon and I'll get the difference between the face of the Canyon and my position. So if I'm at a 20 degree angle, then I know, you know, I might look at it and say, Hey, that Canyon wall is going up angle at you know 32 degrees. Right. So, you know, every 15 degrees is is 30 minutes of the clock. But you can, you know, you can convert your Kestrel or whatever over into degrees for wind and it'll do it per degree. But then I can sit there and I can plug the wind call in and just give me a 12 degree wind call. Right. So I can say, hey, I believe that this wind is running up this canyon face at, you know, 32 miles an hour, which is an unusual where we're at or something. And so, I can plug in a 32-mile-an-hour vertical wind, but only with a, you know, if it was an clock method, like a 630 wind. Right, with a 12-angle. You know, yeah, and and the Kessel will tell you, hey, hold, you know, it'll tell me hold left, you know, or whatever, which way I plug it in there. It'll say, hey, hold left half a mil. Well, I can then take that half a mil off of my vertical if I think that's a true component. Yep,
1: yep, makes sense. Perfect sense, yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. so that, that's one of the, the, you know, one of the, the tools, but, it, you know, it's not, you know, it's not like I walk out there and, and like, yeah, drop a mill off your data. You know, I won't do that either. You know, that's one of those, you know, uh, Jacobisms, you know, like believe the bullet, you know? So when I, you know, if I'm, if I'm not positive, I'm going to trust my calls, my equipment. I want to send that first round, but what I see, I'm going to believe. And then I'm just gonna correct, and I want to pick it up on that next shot, you yeah. know, because no one's gonna walk out there and like, "Hey, man, just drop three mils off your data for because I think you get in a vertical. <laughs> right. just, you well, know, you can't see it. It's it
1: invisible, just, even though you can see pieces of it.
0: Yeah, it's just not enough information that I'm gonna make a call off of it. I might hold low or I might favor low, but there's a few places to where I can truly um, see it, you know, at our place. And I'm like, man, I know what's going on here. And we do get some downdraft, too. so, you know, if you're on the top of the mountain, shooting down into the canyon, if that wind is coming in your face, where's it pushing on the bullet at?
1: Yeah, pushing it down, is it? Yep.
0: Yeah, it's pushing it against the canyon wall, so you're going to get some vertical there, and you're going to have to hold up a little higher. So there's, there's a lot, but, I mean, that, we could spend, you know— Yeah, ages. Days, well, like I was saying, <laughs> I went out to Clint
1: Smith's place when he was first doing the heart thing, and I went out there one winter with him, and he has the little shorty 308 at the time. We're going back 10, 12 years— and he's got like an 18, 16-inch 308 shooting 168s, and it was snowing, and then the wall on the other side, you can see the snow going up the wall. And it was a 1,200-yard shot, and so we were doing that, and he with his little shorty, like every other round, would catch the updraft, and you would see this transonic not doing anything round floating into that other side, and the wind would blow it up 25 feet and it would hit, you know? And and it was like, holy cow, it went 25 feet that time, you know? And, yep. and so him and I were kind of like, you know, just playing with that and just sitting there one afternoon. And, and we probably almost did a full box of ammo, just watching what it did because we had the snow as an indicator.
0: Yeah. So anytime we get flurries, we, we'll add a few setup shots where like on a ridge line. So we'll see those, you know, you'll see the two different lands coming in from two different canyons. Um, and I try not to, I try not to teach my canyon. I try to teach things that'll work pretty much anywhere you go. Right, so right. It's easy to kind of learn, Hey, you know, this is what you want to do. Well, that might work here, but it may not work on the other side. So if it doesn't work, I don't really want to get into it. I'll you know, I'll say, Hey, if you look at that grass, yes, yeah, solve the it problem. Is,
1: don't give them a solution
0: right. And, but you'll see with those, with those flurries, those are really good. Another thing, um, as far as like just a standard wind deal that I like to do. And I, I would, I had Emil Prasic out there and was talking about it with him, but you know, rain falling for that matter, you know, you got that, even though rain, you're not going to get that vertical, you're not going to see that vertical component. It's going to give me a wind call in a Canyon that I might not normally get otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, let's say I'm taking a shot at, um, I don't know, whatever. I got eight mils of data for the gun or whatever. So that rain is dropping no different than my bullet is dropping, correct? Yeah. I, know, I got so soaked on your range, man. I, it rains
1: hard on your so, range.
0: Yeah, but it's it's going to drop. So it's going to, I'm going to drop that, that rain's falling for eight mils. I'll just basically take and I'll look at the angle of that wind and, you know, let's say it's falling through, it's going through my crosshair. And then it, the angle I'm seeing it intersects at 1.2 mils. You know, at eight mils down, mm-hmm. right? So, so my wind call is going to be one point two. Nice, nice. Of, that wind is—you know—that wind's going to be doing the same thing to that rain that's going to be doing to my bullet for the most part. You know, that's a good a starting point at least for me. Mm-hmm. But, you, but the snow you can definitely use on the verticals too, for sure. If you get into those flurries, yeah,
1: yeah it was good so. stuff, man. No, it was—you have a great range. It's a great place. Um, I kept you for about the hour. I don't know if you have anything you need to plug or anything like that. I know you're pretty self-contained out there. But um, yeah. If you want to plug something, man, jump on it.
0: No, I'm good, man. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you were, but I'd, I'd ask anyway. Yeah. You know, no, okay. no, and I appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate you. You know, uh, give me a call and, and and get me on here. Hopefully, uh, you know, they can decipher some of this stuff and make. Oh no, dude, this know? will
1: be great. Everybody'll love it. No, but I appreciate yeah. you coming on like that and. And, and like I said, we we bang into each other every now and then. You're doing your thing. I do mine. And then we we usually kind of, some point, we run into each other in the middle. And it's like, oh, hey, Brian, there you are. And then, yeah. you, you know, if, I, if I'm if i lucky enough to get up into that area when I went and visited with Glenn and then popped into a CU and and stuff, I'll have to do that again because I want to go up. with well, Glenn's got so much new stuff. It's like, oh, I got to go up and yeah, see the Yeah, he's got hit. some cool
0: stuff coming out. Yeah, yeah he the does. Rifle. I've, I've got one of those uh, sitting out there. We've got it in 260 right now. And, uh, yeah, the thing. Yeah, for the cost that, that that thing's such
1: a good it's amazing that hit ride. yeah i'm gonna grab yeah. one as a backup um because i'll have a as a loaner. um i'm gonna start doing a little bit more here in colorado uh with the range um moving forward and hopefully do a little less traveling than what i'm doing but i do appreciate you coming on at the like i totally just called you like monday or something i don't remember what day it was because your name kept coming up kept coming up i said let me call brian and see if he's not going to shop maybe you know
0: yeah, yeah, I stayed away from that. I don't, don't didn't feel like getting shoved it this year. So it
1: was, uh, it was good. Yeah. So yeah. no, but I totally appreciate it. But, um, yeah, stay on the line a minute and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll kind of do the music out and then get everybody out and I'll say thanks and bye to you. But yeah, I mean, I appreciate everybody coming on and Brian coming on and talking the way he did. That was one of the questions you guys were asking me. He's like, Hey, get Brian Morgan on. We want to talk about that. And, um, it, it's, it, it it's other elements of what we're doing. You know, you got the comp world, you got the angles, you got the winds out west, you got all I mean, there's just so many elements because we're in this friggin' real world and we're shooting and we and we're not always playing square range, you know. So it's definitely good to have these uh, field courses in field facilities that let you practice all these things. So I appreciate that, Brian. No, thank you. All righty guys, uh, we're gonna head out. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for commenting. Go into the Podbean app, give a shout out to everybody. Um, go on to Sniper's Hide. This will be there and we'll throw it on Facebook and all that stuff. But thanks a lot, guys. We are going to head out. So just give me a second, Brian, and we'll say goodbye. Later. I play with my sliders and faders. <laughs>